0: On Local Now, Channel 525. It's the age old question, isn't it? Why do I exist? Why am I here? We'll try and answer that over the course of the rest of this week. Join us. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. So, why do you exist? To what end? what purpose? These are questions we'll seek to answer here throughout the week on this edition of Abounding Grace. Welcome to the broadcast from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're in Luke chapter 6, looking at verses 12 through 16. We'll also spend some time in Mark as well, but we're focusing on this one question, why are you here? We have some answers for you, and we'll delve into them beginning today. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he was also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, if you would, turn over to Mark 3. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, And to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boangarez, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, and the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Why are you here? Do you know why you are alive? Do you have any idea why you were born? Why God brought you into existence? Why you have made it this far in your life? Why you haven't died so far from disease or a heart attack or a car wreck or some other tragic incident? Do you know why you are alive unless you have an answer to that question that is not only satisfying to you but that is correct nothing in life will truly add up for you so let me tell you from the word of god why you are alive right now regardless of your age however young you may be however old you may be You are alive because you are on a mission for God. And unless you understand that the very reason you are alive is because you are on a mission from God, you are not going to be able to hold up under all the pressures and weight and trials and pain that you will have to face in this life. In fact, forgetting that you are alive because you are on a mission from God or losing sight of that fact... You will not be able to keep your head above the waves and the storms of life, and you will drown one way or the other. Understanding who God is and understanding who you are and why you are here are the two most important things you have to understand in your life. This passage of scripture we are studying helps us understand why we are alive And what this mission from God is that we are all on. Do you remember the Blues Brothers? Well, they thought they were on a mission from God. They didn't quite understand what the mission was, but nothing could deter them from reaching that mission. Well, you're on a mission from God. And the calling of the Twelve Apostles can greatly help you understand what that mission is that you have been left alive to carry out. Now, there are a lot of unique things about the Twelve Apostles and their mission that cannot be said about us. They were men who had the Holy Spirit and had Him so In fact, they were inspired by that spirit, that by whatever they wrote, under that spirit's power was the infallible word of God. And as the men who produced the New Testament, they were the foundation of the church. We are the building. The apostles are the foundation. And you don't keep laying a foundation over and over again. That apostolic period is now over. For you lay a foundation once and then you construct a building on that foundation. And the apostles had a unique role in ministry and function as they wrote the New Testament, laying the foundation for the New Testament church. But though there were some things that were unique in the ministry and the role of those apostles, there are some things that we, as ordinary Christian citizens, have in common with them and in what God called them to do and the mission that he sent them to perform. Now, remember what an apostle is. An apostle is someone who has been sent out on a mission with the authority of God and all the powers and gifts necessary to carry out that mission that has been assigned him. Now, there is a more technical and a more specific aspect of their mission that can only apply to those 12 men and a few others that saw the resurrected Christ. But in a broad sense, we are a people who are commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to carry out a specific task in this life. And unless we know what that task is and are faithful at carrying it out, our lives will not mean much to ourselves or anyone else in this world. Whatever your role that you play, either as a mother, a father, or as a student, a a child, a a laborer, a, a businessman, a teacher, whatever it is, every aspect of your life in some way must be seen by you as an opportunity to carry out the reason you are alive and perform the mission that God has assigned you. Now, it's a twofold mission. What did God call the apostles to do? Well, first of all, the reason that I read both texts today is because they complete each other and thus help us better understand this mission. If you'll notice in Luke 6:13, it simply says, "When day came, he called his disciples to him." So all we know from Luke about the purpose of the calling of these apostles is that they came to him, that is Christ. Well, we have a more complete statement in Mark 3.14. It says, And he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So there you have the twofold mission that every one of us, just like the apostles, have been called to under God. We have been called by God to be with Christ and as a church, though every one of us may do this in various ways, we are to proclaim Christ with demon conquering authority. To be with Christ and to proclaim the gospel. That is the twofold mission. That is the nature of the mission that you are alive to perform communion with God and the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I tell you sincerely that if you are not, day in and day out, seriously diligent at carrying out that call, you haven't the slightest idea why you are here. And if you don't know why you are here, you're not going to get anything else in life straight. If you're having problems as a student with with grades or possibly with drugs or Or if you are having problems with illicit sex or pornography or with alcohol or with anger. It is largely because you haven't taken seriously why you are alive. And whatever level of existence that you may be, whatever age, whatever category of life or or class. If there are problems, conflicts or tensions in your life, it is because you have lost sight of who you are why you were here, and the mission that God has sent you to perform. Every second of your life, this mission must be the life-consuming drive, goal, motive, and priority of your life in everything you do. When you sit down at your desk Monday morning, and you see all the business you have to take care of for the day, you must say, these papers on my desk I will work hard at in order that I might fulfill my mission today of being with Christ and of proclaiming the gospel with demon-conquering power. I go to class. I teach. I bake. I do tech work. I care for the sick and the injured. I I practice law. I I swing a hammer so that I might be with Christ and so that I might participate in the proclamation of the gospel with demon-conquering power. Anytime you lose sight of that, for a period of time, you will fall, fall flat on your face. And you will be of little effect for the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at these purposes for life. First of all, it says Jesus called the apostles to himself to be with him. Now, in that one promise, you have a concise statement of what the Bible is all about. You want to know what creation is all about? Do you want to know what the Old Testament is all about? Do you want to know what the New Testament is all about? Do you want to know what heaven is all about? Well, here it is. This phrase captures the gist of the heart experience of every true believer. And that is to enjoy deep personal friendship with Almighty God. That is the summary statement of the purpose of everything from Genesis to Revelation. What do you read about in the first chapter of Genesis and the creation of the world? Why did God create man and woman? He created us that we might be made in his image. That we might behave like him so that we might want the things that he wants for our lives. And so that we might reflect his character In our lives. And why did he make us in his image? So that we can enjoy fellowship with him. Our whole purpose is to be made like him. So that there is a basis for harmony harmony, and unity and friendship and community and the fellowship between the creator and the creature. But of course man fell and you know all of the whole story of of sin now if you were to summarize the entire old testament what would it be it would be our covenant with god in christ a bond of friendship that god established with his chosen people in the lord jesus christ through his son he overcame our sin and he joined in a bond of friendship with us. He became our sin and rebellion and brought us into a relationship with himself. So that in Genesis 17, 7, God could promise to Abraham, I would be a God to you and your children after you, down through their generation in an everlasting covenant. And then when we come to the New Testament, what do we read about in the life of Christ, in his ministry and his mission here on earth. We read that Jesus was always, always calling people to himself. He said things like, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the water of life. Drink of me, and you'll not thirst again. Eat of me, and you will hunger no more. I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me and you will never die. And he called those whom he would to himself. And they came to him that they might be with him. That is the nature of God's covenant with us. You see this emphasis throughout the New Testament and in the life of Christ particularly, that He created us and saved us so we might spend every single day of our lives in sweet fellowship, friendship, and conscious communion with Him. Then you have the rest of the New Testament after Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church? Well, it says in Acts one eight, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall be upon you, and you shall be made my disciples, and you shall go into the far corners of the earth and preach the gospel, etc., etc. Well, let, let me tell you something about that verse. It does say, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But then in the Greek, it doesn't just say, and you shall be my disciples. It literally says, and you shall become mine who are my disciples. So the emphasis on the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was not just to empower the church to take the gospel into the world. Although it did do that. But the Holy Spirit was brought into our lives that we might be brought into a deeper, more intimate more personal relationship with Jesus Christ than the people the day before the Pentecost. And, And how does the Bible then conclude? The Bible concludes in talking about the completion of the redemptive work of God. Turn to Revelation 21 and notice the emphasis with which the Bible closes. Revelation 21, starting verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. In this wonderful figurative picture of the consummation of the work of grace, what is the focal point? The focal point is God is with His people. God is enjoying friendship with His people, and they are enjoying friendship with Him. And just see, this is the heart of Scripture. This is the heart of our Christian faith. Our chief end, the reason we were created, the reason we were born and saved is to know God in Christ and to have sweet, daily, conscious fellowship with Him. Otherwise, you can't glorify Him. A Christian is someone who has been called to love Jesus Christ, to submit to Christ, to enjoy friendly relations with Him every day and to be loved by Him daily now a christian is called a believer but what is a believer what does faith in christ mean well we all know of two things for sure that it means and in evangelical and reformed churches all over the world they constantly emphasize this to believe in christ means first of all to rely upon his work if you would remember when you joined rhc you were asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, and do you rest upon Him alone for salvation? So faith in Christ is a reliance, a resting of your life and future upon the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But it also includes a second thing, and that is not only a reliance on His work, but submission to His Word. When you received Christ as your Savior, You received him as your Lord. I have said time and again that no one, no one can receive Christ as his Savior unless he also bows before him as his Lord. And as our Lord, we are to submit to his word. And we are able to. We say, Lord Jesus, you are my Savior. Govern me, rule me guide me, regulate my will. I submit myself to your word. True faith always includes not simply relying on Christ as our Savior but submitting to his word in every area of life as our King. But now there is a third element of faith that is not very often mentioned or emphasized and yet beloved. It is as vitally important as the other two. And in fact, it's not really saving faith with all, without all three of these. Saving faith is not only a conscious reliance upon Christ for salvation, it's not only a submission to the Word of Christ as our King, but faith is also adoring attachment to the person of Christ. It is also adoring attachment to the person of christ faith not only relies on what christ did in the past faith not only believes in the bible and allows the bible to regulate your life but faith is daily adoring personal attachment to the person of the lord jesus christ he's a living person He's the Son of God in human flesh, resurrected and glorious. And every day of your life, you may enter into personal dealings with Him, talking with Him, and knowing that He speaks and leads you through His Word. And you know that He hears your voice. And you know that He takes interest in your life. And you can think of Him day by day as good close friend that is right there within your reach and you never let loose of him. You love to think of him. You love to sing about him. You love to come to church and worship him. You love to tell other people about him. You love to do things that you know please him. And you love to share with him about what's going on in your heart. There's a great old hymn that some of you may know, it goes, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. There are some wonderful things that happen to me today, Jesus, and I, I just want to share them with you. Or, I'm going through some trials, Lord, and I need to talk to you about them because I can't deal with them all by myself. Th- those are the words that show a personal Daily relationship that a believer has not may have he has with the living Christ himself because as a believer he has an adoring attachment to the person of Christ he won't let go he's constantly there holding on to the robe of the Lord Jesus Christ whatever he knows pleases the Lord that's what he wants to do And time and again throughout the day, sometimes with his head bowed and sometimes with his eyes wide open, doing other things, he communes with Jesus Christ as two friends communicating with each other. That's what it is to be with Christ, beloved. Christ says, I'm calling these men to be with me. And of course, when he called them, he meant that literally, He took those 12 apostles and for three years they never left his side. They traveled who knows how many miles together on foot. They ate together, they they slept together, they prayed together, cried together. They lived together day in and day out. Jesus and his apostles were always in each other's company. And these apostles never wanted to be anywhere else than in his company.